This is Soccer Power Half Hour, part of the Armchair All-Americans Podcast Network, with your hosts Sam Henschel and Justin Davies. Hello and welcome to the third edition of the Armchair All-American Soccer Power Half Hour, now on iTunes. I know, right? Uh, incredible. So today, we are going to be talking to you about tons of stuff. The Premier League, the FA Cup, ticket prices, all things that we want to talk about with you today. And Justin is excited to talk about them as well, aren't you, Justin? Yes, I am, Sam. Okay, so let's get started. Let's get started with the weekend results. And I mean, Justin, what a great weekend if you are a Tottenham Hotspur supporter. A big, big, big... Big win over Man City puts them just two points away from Leicester in the table thanks to an Arsenal win, which we'll have to stomach, uh, but it happened. Uh, Liverpool absolutely destroyed Aston Villa, which may or may not be a surprise. We'll talk about that later. And Manchester United fall to Sunderland. Definitely a bit of a surprise for me as well. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway from this weekend? I think the biggest takeaway was the reemergence of Arsenal into the Premier League, Sam. You know, it looked like a two-horse race before this week, but Arsenal were able to surprise Lesher with that last-minute goal, Danny Welbeck, already making an impact on his way back onto the field. I think that was a big result. But Tottenham proved that they can play with the big boys, and even Mauricio Pochettino was feeling that too as well. I think they definitely stepped up and made a statement to the league as well this weekend. So I think both of those teams, Arsenal, Spurs, they're now the two teams that are really, uh, in terms of statistics, the statistical favorites to have a chance to take this league title. They're both sitting on 51. The statistics really don't like Leicester as much as maybe they should. But as far as they go, these teams are sort of battling each other, these longtime rivals for this title. And it's something that we haven't really seen in the modern era. I mean, it's something incredible and definitely a season for both sets of fans to really, really relish. And I just wonder if that March 5th North London Derby, if that's going to be the title decider. Yeah, Sam. The fact that this rivalry is really re-emerging and having an impact on the entire league championship in general is a big deal, not only for fans of Arsenal and Tottenham, but but for fans of the Premier League as well. I think that both these teams have made a real re-emergence onto the scene in the last couple of years, and I think that March 5th matchup is going to be a big decider in the title race, Sam. But first, let's talk about the games themselves. Arsenal and Leicester, what were your, kind of your, what were your takeaways from that game? Well, I think similar to what I'm going to say about Spurs, uh, Arsenal played well. So did Leicester, and Arsenal got a lucky break, and they took advantage, and they won because of it. I mean, Vasilevsky makes a pretty dodgy decision to go in for that foul, set them up, and set Welbeck up to poke that in just with no time left. I mean, you're already down to 10 men. You're defending for your life. It's 1-1, and you make a, a silly decision, a silly foul, and you give your opponent a chance to score, and they take advantage and score. And, I mean, that could be the nail in the coffin for Leicester. Of course, we're talking in absolutes all almost with so many matches remaining, but it, it almost seems as if this could actually be the beginning of the end for them. We'll have to see. I don't want to overreact, but I, I think Arsenal picked up a lucky break with this win. Yeah, Sam, you're definitely right. This is a ridiculous game. So many bonehead moves, so many game-decisive plays that happened. You look at the first half, Nacho Monreal diving in, conceding a penalty to Jamie Vardy. I thought it was a penalty personally. I know some people are disagreeing. He stuck his leg out there. I thought it was a penalty. But then for Lesher. You know, we've been talking about them for the last couple of weeks. Is this the time they're going to slip? They've time and time again proved themselves. Last weekend with that huge win, this actually might be the time here. They had that stupid red card. I believe it was Simpson with the red card. And then that bonehead tackle in the 90th minute to give them a free kick in prime scoring position. Just like Tottenham, I think that Arsenal got a little bit lucky for this one. But I think a lot of Arsenal fans would be thinking that this game was destiny for them. 
Well, I certainly uh, hope it isn't, but uh, let's talk about Spurs and Man City, and let's talk about that little piece of luck that we mentioned, and that would be the penalty kick awarded to Harry Kane just past halftime. Sterling in the box, the ball comes in, did it hit his arm, did it not hit his arm, did it hit his back, did it just look like it was in his armpit? Personally, I'd love to believe it was a penalty, I don't know if it was, what did you think? Sam, I think it definitely hit his arm, but I think the real question we have to ask ourselves here was... Was that an intentional position for his arm? You know, he jumped up and turned his back to the ball, kind of something that he probably shouldn't have done anyways, kind of a rookie mistake for a young Premier League player like Sterling. But whether his arm was outstretched in an outstretched position enough, that's kind of the real question here. I believe it wasn't. I don't think it should have been a penalty kick, but I definitely can see the argument for both sides. Yeah, I mean, uh, I understand where you're coming from. Uh, I personally think that maybe if your arm is out like that, you can't sort of take the benefit of the doubt. If the arm's close into your body, that's where that's a no call. If you stick your arm out and it hits it, it's a penalty. It doesn't really matter if you bent it or not. You put your arm in a treacherous position, you hit it, and it was a penalty. Uh, I personally think that maybe this is a little bit of revenge for uh, that Ed and Dzeko penalty that he got against Danny Rose a few years ago, or that Mario Balotelli penalty that he got a couple of years ago after he stomped on Scott Parker and should have been sent off. That one still haunts me to this day. I mean, it's been, what, four years? That still haunts me. Things happen. You know, there was there was a season where Spurs had zero penalties in the league, and, and this year, you know, um, they've gotten a few, but I mean... It happens. You know, refs make decisions, and you had who is considered in Clattenburg the best ref in the Premier League at the moment. He made his call. It looked like a good call at the time. It looks like a good call at full speed. And and so I, I don't see how you can be that seamed about it if you're a Man City supporter, uh, but I understand why you would be. I think the key here was that if Sterling was standing on the ground and defended that like a normal defender should have, kept his eyes on the ball and didn't flinch or jump, I think that that might not have been called a penalty. I also think he would have been in a better defensive position. I think the fact that he jumped on that anyways, I mean, what if, uh, what if I, th- I believe it was Rose who crossed it, faked it. He'd be, in, he'd be in the goal. So I think it was just a poor defensive play by Sterling, and I think that really cost him the game. I think one person for, for Tottenham who really made an impact is Lamella when he came on. He instantly came on and had that breath of fresh air for Tottenham in the midfield, and he had a great uh, run, I believe, when he had a 1-2, dribbled the ball up, and then played it into Erickson for the game-winning goal. I think Tottenham is so talented. They have so much depth. You bring off Sun, you put on a guy like Lamella, and they can all make an impact. Very exciting for Tottenham. I would definitely agree with that, and I'm really looking forward to see what Pochettino uh, rolls out this Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, or is it Wednesday and then Sunday in the next three weeks? It's a packed schedule, and I'm really looking forward to the next three weeks, that's for sure. Moving on, Liverpool. We said absolutely annihilated Aston Villa. I mean, Aston Villa is clearly the worst team in the Premier League. There have been some pundits out there who have said that Aston Villa is perhaps the worst Premier League team of all time. Uh, Of course, they will beat that Derby County season where they had the absolute worst Premier League season of all time. But some are saying that this team is worse. This team will not fare well in the championship and that uh, they're looking to maybe do a double relegation. And I guess it's not surprising considering their owner is is the uh, Randy Lerner who happens to be involved with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, but, I mean, is it significant that Liverpool hammered a team this bad or does it just show that on their day they might be able to score a bunch of goals but against the real team they haven't been able to get it done? You know, Sam, I think it shows a little bit of both. I think the first thing that we can take away from this is that Liverpool do have quality. 
They've been so active in the transfer market trying to sign so many players. I think they have a lot of good players up front. I think they've been bringing in a lot of big names in and out of the club in the past couple of years with Suarez, Balotelli, just a couple names I mentioned, even Coutinho coming in. These are guys that are great players. I just think they need more time to gel under Klopp and his very demanding system of football. I think that's the first thing we take away. They have a talented group of players. I think maybe they need one or two more to really solidify themselves as a Champions League contender. But... Again, Sam, you mentioned it. I don't know if this team can get the result done against big-time quality teams like Tottenham and Arsenal proving to be in the Premier League. What I'm always afraid of with Liverpool is that they happen to have Spurs number. They just have for the last few years, but so had Man City. And here we are sitting, uh, you know, Spurs have just done the double over Man City. But Spurs couldn't figure out how to beat Liverpool in Klopp's first match. I mean, it, it just goes to show that th- this league is very much a league where anything can happen any week. But I, I would sort of expect that Liverpool, uh, while they may gain a little bit of confidence from this, it's not going to do anything in terms of propelling them forward. They may make it into the Europa League, they may not. Uh, I don't think either way it makes a real difference as to who they'll be able to attract this summer. Jurgen Klopp is a big name. People will play for him and his system regardless of where he is and the promise of what future he can bring to them. Uh, I certainly think that they'll be aiming to do better. I just don't know. I guess with Daniel Sturridge returning, that's the big piece. So he's returned. He's done well. And if he continues to play and continues to not be hurt, they may do something here. Now, if he gets hurt again or he loses form, it's shown that without him, they're really in a big bind. So I think he's the key. Yeah, Sam, I completely agree. And I think Jurgen Klopp is a big name that can bring in a lot of great talents. I've heard they've already made contact with Joel Matip to bring him over from Schalke this week. I think that this is a team, like you said, that looks really good. They just need a little bit more time to build. Their back line is getting a little old, despite the fact that I think uh, Kolu Torre and Skirtle are great defenders. I think they might need to bring in a younger defender, and I think Matip might do that for them. I think we're going to have to wait and see on Liverpool. Well, you know what they say about Skirtle. He'll score as many goals for you as you want at both ends. Uh, But anyways, moving on. Manchester United lose 2-1 to Sunderland. Now, we just said Aston Villa is the worst team in the Premier League this season. Sunderland happened to be a close second. They are not that great, uh, and that's being pretty nice. I mean, they sort of have lost what they had in the past in terms of being able to just barely escape relegation. Uh, This year, it looks like they're getting ready to go down. It looks like they don't have anything. Aside from Jermaine Defoe, who maybe can put in one or two when you give him the ball in the right position, but it just doesn't seem like they can make even that happen. It just... It amazes me that Manchester United could brain fart so badly to lose this match in a position where a win would have put them three points out of the top four. It just, I don't know. I mean, what does this say to you about Manchester United? I think it completely says what we thought last week. You know, we asked the question, are they still in it? Is there a chance? Can United make that dream miracle comeback? And I think the answer is no. You know, you even see De Gea scoring an own goal on himself this week. This team just does not have the right mentality. They're waiting for the new coach to come in. They're done with the LVG era. And I think this is not the right year for Manchester United. I and think that they're going to be looking to at Europa League aspirations. It's incredible to think that a team like Manchester United right will now. be in the Europa League two years in a row. And, you know, this is a team that has been challenging for titles since we've been alive. And, and since a little bit before that even. And it just seems so incredible to see that one man in Sir Alex uh, could really mean absolutely that much to the most expensive club in England. The most one of the most expensive clubs in the world, it amazes me. 
I mean, we're looking at a Los Angeles Lakers situation right here, honestly, in the Premier League. This is a team that has challenged so many titles. Had they been the face of the Premier League and world football, they've been winning Champions Leagues in the past 10 years. And just these last couple of years since Sir Alex Ferguson departed, they have not quite been the same. I think this is time for a new era. I think that this, these past couple of years since he's left has been a huge transition period for them. But they have the talent. They have the squad. They can get back to that spot if they need to. They might need to make a couple more summer signings and let go of a few more players. But I think that they can do it. I think it's a weird time, but I think it's been also cool for the Premier League because this has opened up the opportunity for a lot more teams like Tottenham and Arsenal to make a big resurgence. And I think the number one team that you think about when you say that is Leicester. This week, we talked about the top four playing each other. Uh, We talked about the matches. We saw how they played out. We're looking at the table now. Leicester on 53, Spurs and Arsenal both on 51, Man City on 47. Now, that might sound like a long way back. It's only six points. There's 12 matches to go. That's a lot of time for a team to make up six points. We're almost acting as if it's it's absolutely happening in one way or the other. But the season, it just has so long to go. I mean, do you think that, that this table will stay this way? Or will one team make a move and pull away? Or will it be close till the very end? I think this weekend, this past weekend, cemented a front three for me. I think Lesher, Tottenham, and Arsenal, barring a possible situation where Lesher could start to slip a little bit more and let Man City creep back into that top three, I think the top three have been solidified after this weekend. If you look at who Man City play in the next coming weeks, Liverpool, who are kind of red hot, Man U, the rivalry, Chelsea, and Arsenal, those are four big mar- matches in the next 12 weeks. I don't know if they can make a six-point climb in the table. And I think especially Leicester being not being in any more European competitions might have a little bit easier schedule coming up. Sam, what do you make of these next uh, couple of weeks with these top three teams for you? It's really interesting, right? You've already mentioned Leicester out of every competition except for the Premier League, right? They have a minimum and maximum of 12 games remaining. That is it. Leicester need to play 12 more matches. They need to win 12 more matches, and they have won the Premier League. That's all they have to do. Spurs have to play those 12 matches, plus a potential nine Europa League matches, plus another potential six FA Cup matches. And it's very similar for Arsenal in the Champions League and very similar for Man City in the Champions League because all three are still in the FA Cup as well. It seems like Leicester perhaps having that advantage could really mean something. And coupled with that, they have the easiest remaining schedule in this top four. They play against these teams like Norwich, Sunderland, Swansea, West Brom, Newcastle. None of those teams inspire confidence that they're going to beat a team that's sitting on the top of the table right now. It just doesn't it just doesn't seem to me like that stuff's going to happen. You look at Spurs, they're going to play Arsenal. They're going to play West Ham, two big rivals, Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea, Southampton, all names that may create a little bit of trouble. Arsenal have Manchester United, they have Spurs, they have Everton, they have West Ham, they have Man City. Man City, you've already mentioned what they have. I mean, it just seems like it's sort of opening up for Leicester, and I think that if they continue on their path, they could win the league. I don't know that they will, but it seems like they have the clearest path to push forward and to pick up this trophy. I think logistically you hit the nail on the head right there. Leicester had the easiest schedule moving forward, the least amount of games, by a possibility of 12 or 13 games compared to Tottenham and Arsenal like you just touched on. So logistically, they should win it. Now, here's the big question I'm going to pose. With these extra games in Champions League and Europa League, given that Tottenham and Arsenal keep progressing, do you think that they have enough depth in their lineups to keep this Premier League fight going, Sam? Absolutely. I mean, it all depends on what the managers decide. 
in terms of what's the priority, and I personally believe that both these teams should be looking at a Premier League as a priority. Of course, Arsenal may decide that a Champions League run is their priority. They may decide that being three-time FA Cup champions back-to-back-to-back is their priority, but I doubt that. I doubt that I doubt that the Champions League will be their priority because I don't think they'll beat Barcelona. Uh, I think that the FA Cup, they could probably get to the final in their sleep, just like Tottenham. Uh, and I think that the league will be their focus. I think Tottenham will be the same way. I think the league should be their focus. I know that a few weeks ago, uh, supporters were looking at the Europa League saying, it's a guaranteed Champions League berth. This is what we need to be focusing on. And here we are basically saying, you know, we are in the top three. That's what you just said. And I sort of agree with you. I say if we're not in the top three, we're at least in the top four. And that's a Champions League berth. So the Europa League, again, all it becomes is a trophy. So the question is, how badly do these guys want to win a trophy? And if they want to win a trophy regardless, they may put a little too much effort behind one of these. They may play a player or two that they probably shouldn't. And I think that if a manager were to slip up, one of one of these two or three managers were to slip up and make that mistake, it could become costly. I wrote an article, and it went out on Tuesday, talking about Spurs squad depth. Spurs have a second 11, just ready-made. None of the players that start in the Premier League, with the exception of Kevin Vimmer because of Jan Vertonghen's injury, start in the second 11 that I created. And that second 11 is good enough to win some FA Cup matches. It may or may not be good enough to win those Europa League matches. It would at least be competitive. I mean, we're not talking about slouches. We're talking about players like Chadley, Son, Ryan Mason, Nabil Bentaleb, Davies, Trippier, uh, Vorm. All these guys who are who are real names, real deals. Tom Carroll, they can play and they should deserve some starting time in, in a place where it's not the league. And I think that if... These two teams, Spurs and Arsenal, can manage that correctly. They have a real chance to be going into the final day right on top of each other at one and two, and it may come down to that close to decide who wins the title. Yeah, Sam, I think you talked about it perfectly right there. I think you look at some of these players that they bought with that Gareth Bale money that a lot of people said that Tottenham were wasting their money on. Looks like it's paid off a little bit here. They've got a lot of high-quality players that could fill in at any point in the lineup and start. I think this could be instrumental to them if they want to win the title. It's all up to Poch to decide how he wants to use these players to win. You look at a guy like Kevin Wimmer. With the absence of Yammer Toggin, a lot of people were saying that Tottenham was done. Their defense would be completely off-balance, would be completely screwed. But Kevin Wimmer's came in and played great. And I think they have a lot of other players like that. And I think that because Champions League and Europa League for Tottenham and Arsenal is more of a, is more of a second priority now, especially because Arsenal is playing Barcelona and Tottenham have pretty much already secured a Champions League berth for next year. I think Pochettino and Wenger being able to incorporate these second 11s that they have into the lineup and getting a natural flow is going to be huge towards either of those teams' title success. Speaking of players that we've been talking about in this in this second sort of squad depth, the FA Cup comes back this weekend. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, the fifth round proper, so very close to the quarterfinals, semifinals, and a final appearance. Uh, Teams that are still alive, Arsenal, Spurs, Chelsea, Man City, Man United, Crystal Palace, Everton, all of these teams are out and about. Some of the big matchups we'll be looking at, Arsenal and Hull, another rematch between those two teams in the FA Cup, which always seems to prove entertaining. Spurs and Crystal Palace, a pretty good matchup that we've seen twice so far this year has played very well in the league, and Chelsea and Man City, who who knows what's going to happen with either of those teams. Uh, what are you most excited to watch? I know that it may or may not be Spurs, but which, which, which one are you thinking will be the most exciting? You know, Sam, on paper, Chelsea and Man City is very interesting. 
But looking at this slate right here, I think Arsenal, Hull City, given their history in this tournament, are going to be very exciting. I also think teams like West Brom, teams like Crystal Palace, teams like Bournemouth and Everton, with nothing to lose, FA Cup is their season. They're, they're kind of stagnant in the table, a couple of them at least. I think that an FA Cup win is huge for their organizations. I think these are the teams that are really dangerous in the competition. And a matchup like Bournemouth and Everton could actually prove to be very exciting. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the magic of the FA Cup. Uh, Wigan, of course, taking it against Man City those years ago, a couple years ago. I mean, anything can happen, you know, and any team can move forward. Any team can win. We could see Shrewsbury beating Man United. Anything is possible in this competition, and I think that's definitely where the excitement will come from. Of course, I'm always excited when I get a chance to watch Spurs on the weekend, so I will definitely be tuning in to that match. Um, but I think you're right. I think Bournemouth and Everton will definitely be exciting. A match like Reading and West Brom could turn out to be really exciting. Arsenal and Hull, really exciting. I think the FA Cup, uh, at this point, at, in some circles, gets a little bit disregarded. Say, oh, it doesn't mean anything. Why are we playing in it? It's a silly trophy. It's just a Europa League berth. But for a lot of these lesser teams, like you said, this is their season. This is their chance to win a trophy in a time where they may not have another chance to win a trophy for 5-10 years. Yeah, and Sam, talking about these little teams, let's look at the big teams here. Chelsea, Manchester City, Manchester United. I'm sure these clubs like to get some silverware into their into their locker rooms as well. A lot of these teams this season seem to be lost at this point, and no silverware is eminent for these teams. So I do actually see Man City or Chelsea, especially Chelsea, looking for a title, looking for a trophy to win. Same with Manchester United. I think that they're going to look past Shrewsbury. I think they're going to put a decent lineup out there. I think definitely, what, and especially mentioning that, of course, again, the championship brings with it a Europa League berth. Chelsea may be trying a little bit harder than a lot of teams would think they would here. Because yes, they're still in the Champions League, and yes, they still have a chance to get back in the league to Europa League place, but this may be their best chance to stay in European competition for next season, and I think that maybe you might see them sneakily try a little bit harder than many thought they would. I definitely think it's a pride and arrogance thing, but I do think that this is their best chance to get into Europa League instead of climbing that table with all the matches that they have left as well. I do think that they're going to put on a good team against Manchester City. So last week, we talked about ticket prices. We talked about the uh, potential rise of ticket prices at Liverpool, the fan walkout, and in between the time that we recorded and the time that the podcast went out, uh, FSG, um, owned by John Henry, of course, uh, put out a memo that said they will not be raising ticket prices, and they will be listening to the fans and their walkout, and they'll be keeping the ticket prices in a range that the fans deem affordable. And this sort of phenomenon swept through the league. I mean, there are a couple other teams. Spurs talked to their supporters' trust, said, hey, we're going to reconsider raising our ticket prices for next year. Newcastle said, we're going to put a freeze on our ticket prices. They will be the same next year as they are this year. And, I mean, that's just a couple of examples. It just seems like fans sort of wielded the power that they had, and together created this sort of media perception that led to the teams reconsidering this extra avenue for money, especially with the extra 50 million pounds that are coming into each club from the TV money next year. It just it just seems like it's a feel-good story for the fans to get more chances to watch their teams play in an affordable range. Yeah, Sam, just like we touched on last week, these matchups, people wait 20 years even for some clubs to get on their season ticket list. This is their weekend. This is so important for them, and it's really cool that these fans are standing up and making an impact that is that has shockwaves around the entire league. I think that the Premier League and most of these clubs will ultimately fold and give them what they want. I think Newcastle have a great strategy here in freezing their ticket prices, saying, look, we're not going to go up, but we're not going to go down. 
I think that's, that's something that I think is very reasonable, and I think a lot of the fans really appreciate that. Tottenham, saying that they're willing to reconsider, I think that's awesome, especially with their new stadium coming up potentially in the next couple of years. They want to be on a good note with the fans. And I think Liverpool, refusing to lower their ticket prices is a bad move by their part, even if they're crushing teams like Aston Villa out 6-0, to zero, you know, Sam? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's an interesting point you bring up with Spurs, of course, considering that next season is the last season at White Hart Lane. It's been open since 1899, and there are a lot of fans out there, myself included, who would certainly really enjoy to get one chance in that stadium watching a match before it goes down, and making those tickets just as affordable as they can possibly be is really making a good decision to the fans, and making Daniel Levy and Enoch again look in a good light towards the fans, because they've done such a good job since taking over and and to sort of the same with fsg at liverpool they really pulled them out of out of near bankruptcy from hicks and gillette and to see these owners sort of who have done a good job on the field also do a good job off the field in fan relations it really sort of uh makes me look at the teams in this country and to see where they go with ticket prices, ticket prices going up, concession prices going up, uh, no one really caring about the fans. It's all about, um, you know, moving cities, this whole NFL LA debacle. And it just seems to me that the owners in this country could learn a little and bring some lessons back to the sports that we see here. Let's not even get started about the NFL because Sam, I will remind you, I am from San Diego. So I'm still a little, uh, so a little nervous about how that's going to play out. But back to the real football here. I think the example that we just gave with Liverpool, Spurs, and Newcastle, I think all three of these teams have something to gain from this. I think Newcastle fighting that relegation with a newfound team they've just purchased in January, they're going to need all the help they can get in the stands in these next coming games. Same with Tottenham. Tottenham is making that historic title run in one of their last seasons in White Hart Lane. They're going to want all the fans that they can possibly get there, make it as loud as possible, and support these troops as much as they can as they move forward. And Liverpool, with the new Jurgen Klopp era, a lot of people want to see him. They're going to be a very interesting team in the next couple of months, and I think Liverpool is going to want to get as many fans into Anfield as possible. The walkout is the last look that Jurgen Klopp and the rest of that organization wants right now. Uh, last season with uh, Borussia Dortmund, those fans who were diehard filled that stadium up every week were yelling, screaming. I think he would have preferred for them to not even be in the stadium at that point. But no, I agree. It's definitely a bad look. And I think that, uh, of course, Poch brought it up last week. He said it's very important to impress the fans. It's very important to play for the supporters. And I think every manager and player in some respect uh, wants to see that, wants to see a group of people who appreciate what they do on the field week in and week out. And and to make that accessible is uh, really something special. I think that just about does it for you and me this week. For Justin, I am Sam. Like I said, you can catch us on iTunes if you haven't already subscribed. Uh, It'll also be on SoundCloud, on YouTube, and an article will go up on the website when we're out. Follow us, subscribe, listen. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys.